welcome to this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast brought to you from the salubrious surroundings of another service station, Blythe in South Yorkshire near Rotherham on our way home from a rather disappointing result for Norwich City unfortunately, losing 2-0 at Burnley. I am Dave Freezer, and alongside me is Paddy Davitt, Connor Southwell and our video guru... Tony Thrussell, as of course he must be officially known, and uh, we sort of saw this one coming in some ways, didn't we, Pad? I think you preceded this at, at a part of last week's podcast after that brilliant Manchester City win or win over Manchester City, when you said there was a huge potential for there to be a case of after the Lord Mayor's show, and that's pretty much what we saw at Turf Moor, wasn't it? can rely on me to bring the mood down Dave yeah um, sadly I was prophetic I think I even said probably a 2-0 defeat 1-0 2-0 so not unexpected but in the manner they went down today disappointing very frustrating as well um, and Daniel Farker was the first to acknowledge that after the game didn't compete in the areas they needed to against uh, a Burnley side who we, we all knew you don't have to be inside the game to know what they're good at what they're about and Fortunately, Norwich will not probably be the last club to fall victim to that. But um, given all the euphoria after Man City, very disappointing to uh, have to dissect um, a defeat in that manner. Because for me, that'd been fairly avoidable. Uh, certainly, the goals they conceded were avoidable. So, is what it is, and we'll get into it in plenty of depth. But um, yeah, after the highs of Man City, uh, a little bit less euphoric on this pod I'm afraid yeah we'll try to summon some energy despite <laughs> being late on Saturday night and we've got what two and a half hours ahead of us something like that late finish but uh, that's that's the job and actually I, that's the first time I've been to Turf Moor I, I actually quite liked the stadium you know it had a bit of old school character almost and a heck of a view from the um, from the press box at the top of the stand we were in seeing the sort of rolling hills beyond um, the far side it was really really nice and lovely weather as well wasn't it really sunny so I'm trying to I'm trying to drag some positives out of this kind of I'm trying to trying to keep the energy high because it, yeah it does feel like a, a slump from from a real high to not a real low because you know if, if they had it end up getting done 4-0 or something it was only 2-0 in the end but I think it's probably fair to say Burnley deserved the, the three points didn't they yeah I, th- I think they did over the piece I think what what today stressed really was just how high the highs are in the Premier League and just how lows yeah. the lows are you know it's um, it's never an even keel for, in, in that regard but yeah I thought I thought Burnley always got the impression that they were, on, they were in control of the game that the first 20 minutes they came out and pretty much harassed Norwich from the off they're absolutely relentless in their approach got the two goals and then were perfectly happy to sit back on that and basically say to Norwich okay play through us then and um Defensively, very solid. I think, as, as Pad mentioned, you know that's that's well known uh, throughout the game. But um, yeah, Norwich comfortably second best, comfortably beaten, and I suppose uh, that's that's probably the come down that most people were expecting after last week. Yeah, and, and Tony, what did you make of the whole day? How, that was your first. Well, no, you'd been to Turf Moor before, hadn't you? Were you the, no, no, no. Oh no, so it was a new one for all of us. Don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't ask him because he spent most of the game looking at that stunning view over the back of that stand. <laughs> I mean, the day itself. I mean, it started nice, didn't it? We had a nice, nice morning, nice breakfast. You even used the uh, facilities, didn't facilities. you, in the gym? Yeah, I mean, we can't mention Burnley without mentioning Stoke, can we? Because that's really where we stayed. But we did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of Burnley itself, the cricket ground, that was a highlight. Yeah, seeing, I like that. seeing the Norwich fans in the sunshine. 
and you then, could hear them from inside the stadium as well yeah I mean it was almost like last week they won the lottery and this week they lost the ticket that's my cliche oh, yeah. that's my stop, <laughs> stop the podcast yeah. <laughs> that's my we cliche that. we won't get any better than that yeah. uh, but no I mean we could have been there for five hours watching and I don't think they would have scored that's just how it felt yeah. like there was no no real threat or game from them was there so back to the drawing board absolutely only six games in um, yeah <laughs> there's your uh, there's your thrustle dark humour to uh, perk everything up um, but yeah the uh, the cricket club next to Turf Moor that's, that's a really nice touch that must make it a really good away day for the um, for the away fans um, we can't hold it off any longer then the key events um, to be fair Team Pookie is denied by a, a, a decent save by Nick Pope at 0-0 isn't he sticks out his left boot sprawls himself and manages to to stop the shot going uh, through on goal but from there the it was exactly what we expected wasn't it they got done in the air and to be fair the, the first goal came from an absolutely cracking corner from Ashley Westwood uh, but defensively it, it just wasn't good enough was it Pat? No absolutely not I, I must confess um, at this stage I haven't seen it back too often I saw it in real time didn't look good saw it once or twice on the closed circuit tellies we all had on the press tables and it didn't look good but I'm prepared to be corrected but it looked to me like Chris Wood was effectively unmarked behind Tim Krull he's then able to wander all the way around in front of Tim Krull take a step forward and glance the ball home now that at any level is unacceptable but in the Premier League against a team who you know what their strengths are as good as the ball was I mean Kenny McLean's jumped and got underneath it at the near post but what on earth a, a guy as physically imposing and uh, and uh, as physically visible as Chris Wood is. He's their main striker, isn't he? <laughs> and to be unmarked, I just find it. And, and let's, let's be honest, it wasn't any clever movement. He's literally just ambled around Tim Krull on the goal line. It's uh, shockingly bad defending. And, and the second goal wasn't much better. In fact, the second goal for me uh, is a rerun of West Ham's opening goal, you know. They get in down Norwich's right back channel, ball cut across, and Ben Godfrey, I'm afraid to say, found wanting again, and that's two or three times now. And uh, it's not about Ben Godfrey per se, but individually, collectively, they have to be better without the ball. And Danny was asked about it on Friday. The goal was against Column. Are you concerned? He said no. Um, but I think you have to be, you know, because ultimately, particularly away from home, Carrow Road less so, but away from home, if you're going away, and as he said you're two behind after 15 minutes Norwich don't have the quality to, to pull that around so um, yeah that's the frustration for me that Burnley haven't really had to work that hard for that win this afternoon that, that first one Amadou and Godfrey were sort of back post-ish so I guess they were marking centre-backs rather than striker but nobody apparently is obviously is marking Chris Wood and then the second one it all comes from Amadou losing the ball doesn't it uh, his pass into midfield is intercepted by, intercepted by I think Jack Cork and then McNeil's got a run on Byram who's sort of caught out of position a little bit Amadou tries to get across but can't stop the ball coming in and yeah as Pad says uh, Wood runs across um, across Godfrey and uh, and pokes in past Tim Krull um, there were a few chances for Norwich beyond that point weren't there Connor? but did you ever really feel like there was a decent chance that they were going to get back into the game? No I think beyond that that pookie chance that, that you referenced earlier on um, Mo Lightner hit the post, didn't he, from, from about 25, 30 yards and, and then he had a shot that curled wide in the second half. Beyond that, there wasn't too much to report from a, from an attacking front, which, bear in mind how you think about this Norwich side, as a slick attacking machine, 
um, you can only give credit to Burnley and, and how they defended um, committed together they've, they've got a basically two banks of four that are just happy to sit in and pretty much did to, to Norwich what Norwich did to Manchester City last week in terms of letting Norwich have the ball in wide areas and say go on then cross it because we know Timmy Buki's not going to score a header um, particularly against Tarkovsky and Ben Mee so it was frustrating for, from an offensive sense I think um, they didn't get as much joy out of the front four because of how limited the space was to operate in I think uh, Buendia we saw a lot basically come and get the ball on the halfway line when, when Norwich were committed themselves to, to have an attack in, in Burnley's half so that sort of summed it up for me I thought a very very difficult afternoon um, against the side who are very adept and executed a fantastic game plan and uh, even there you referenced Amadou giving the ball away I think that's sort of synonymous with that opening 20 minutes where Burnley was so relentless and so aggressive with their press pretty much every time Norwich had the ball they were suffocated and where we saw them bypass the press last week we didn't see that this week in the same regard so it's certainly an issue um, I think they'll have learnt probably more from that than they did from the win last week so um, it'd be interesting Hopefully. To, yeah fingers crossed <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what the response is like now at Crystal Palace uh, against a side who I think will probably give them a bit more space to play yeah, Campwell and Leitner both did have chances second half. Uh, Leitner had one that just curled away from the far post. I think most of the away end thought it was in when he when he first struck it, but um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't to happen. Um, and we've mentioned Mo Leitner coming on. That was in between the two goals, two and four minutes, and thirteenth uh, minute. Alex Tetty goes off, joins the injury list, and uh, Daniel said that Tim Krull was also struggling as well, didn't he, Pat? Yeah, by the counts in a warm up, uh, felt something in his lower back. Uh, cut short his warm-up and uh, needed painkillers really to get through the game and I think even I was later told at half-time it was a touch and go whether he came out for the second half so I wouldn't as Daniel said you wouldn't have kind of known that from his performance because as much as you know Burnley got the early two goals I don't think you could feel he was culpable for either of those two and then thereafter I I don't recall him having to make too many saves which kind of underlines the, the point Connor was making that their game management I mean it was very very easy for them at 2-0 then they literally just um, almost put their proverbial arm or hands on, on Norwich's forehead and just kept them at arm's length as Norwich kept swinging but uh, in that context it was probably good from Kim, Tim Krull's perspective that he didn't have to overexert himself but yeah Tete probably not be seeing him for a few weeks I don't think subject to the final medical scans and visiting the doctor Tim Krul hopefully the fact that he played the 90 minutes should mean he's okay in terms of Palace because he would be a massive miss I know they've got a lot of injuries but you take Tim Krul or Pookie out of that side I would start to fear I hope Branchich will be back in training next week as well aren't they although I guess he wouldn't be a contender to start at Palace even if he is uh, is fit enough um, Amadou as well uh, obviously was good against Man City and he did do a fair amount of good work today in the air I felt like after that first 20 minutes he sort of got to grips with um, with Wood and Barnes to an extent but uh, he was well I felt pretty lucky not to get a second yellow to, to be sent off there were two incidents in the second half uh, one when he bundled over um, Ashley Barnes wasn't it on the edge of the box and got a talking to from the referee and then late on uh, Jay Rodriguez turned him on halfway and uh, again he sort of brought him down when he's breaking through on goal and that seemed very lucky to not get a second yellow would you agree Connor? Well, sorry just to interject there that on that point Sean Dyche actually in his press conference after the game um, 
said he felt he could say that because they'd won the game so it wasn't a hard look story but he said the lad should have been sent off should have got second yellow for those incidents you, you outlined and uh, he was certainly in no doubt whatsoever that <coughs> Norwich were slightly fortunate in that regard and can you imagine to in, in, drop in into all the injuries Amadou out for one well it would have been one game wouldn't it two yellow cards so no Amadou at Palace suspended could it have got any worse which seems like a, an appropriate time to uh, bring you a bit of what Daniel Farker had to say after the game. Yes, of course, we are disappointed with the, uh, with the result. Um, in general, it was a close game, I think. I just watched uh, the statistic. Um, I think 13 to 11 shots for them, 60-40% possession uh, for us. It, it was a close game, but my feeling was uh, the first 15 minutes uh, were crucial today. And this first 15 minutes uh, cost the game today. Um, yeah, of course, we had the first big chance in the in the game. Um, Timo Pukki won against uh, won the goalkeeper, and he was there. Pope was, uh, I would say, world class save. If we go and lead in this situation, it would be a massive boost, and also would help in, in tactical terms, and would be a, would have been a completely different game. But my feeling is, um, we didn't start proactive enough in the first 15 minutes. Not on the front foot, so we're always a bit slow, and also not like really convinced to to play our style. Yeah, to put. Uh, Burnley back to um, to their to their box. We were prepared that they would press us. It was quite normal that um, it's it's meanwhile a pretty physical side and experienced side on Premier League level and against a newly promoted side who was praised so much during the last last days in a home game. It was clear that they would attack us and try to press us and and be aggressive and. But we should have started more on the front foot, so it's more like to bypass the pressing uh, to be ourselves a bit more proactive and. With this attitude, then we had, we had also many unnecessary losses of the ball. We're always one step too late. We caused some unnecessary set pieces in the in the beginning, some free kicks and and corners, and also in defending in this moment. So you got the feeling, for example, like like we conceded the first goal. So yeah, the delivery was a good delivery. Definitely came in, but it's more like yeah, you have to go into the ball to be proactive and say okay, listen, the ball comes in. I want to clear it instead of being a bit too much impressed and and just to react. And I think the first 50 minutes we didn't start proactive enough and this was uh, was crucial for the game because we are not that good that we can say okay we are 2-0 down and it's more like uh, we are not Liverpool and Man City and yeah we can easily turn a game at, at Burnley so for that um, our quality is then not on uh, on this level so my feeling was the first 15 minutes today were crucial. Okay, so yeah, a 2-0 defeat at Burnley, so it's still early doors in terms of what that means for the table, but obviously it means Norwich slip uh, down towards the, the bottom three, and we are recording ahead of Sunday's game, so they could end up in the bottom three by the end of the weekend, although um, hopefully that won't be the case. Um, from here, obviously we all want to move on, I don't think anybody really wants to dwell on this, but Palace... Is, is not going to be easy either. I think after the, after that Manchester City game, it was almost a little bit, oh, well, these two games look winnable now. But all of a sudden, the trip to Selhurst Park looks far, far less winnable. I think, well, me personally sat here, I, I very happily take a point if they can get it. But, you know, when they've got... When, we spoke to Stuart Webber on Friday, didn't we, about his new contract, and we'll come on to that a bit later in the pod. But he um, he was talking about the games which they've got to come up, and he highlighted the wingers, and I believe he's talking about Zaha and Townsend there, and they are going to be a, a real test for Jamal Lewis and Sam Byron because um, Max Aaron isn't going to be back for then, is he? Does it worry you at all going to Palace, Connor? Oh, it always worries me going to Palace with Norwich's record there yeah. for sure. Um, 
I think, yeah, it's, it's a pertinent point given how Norwich's fullbacks like to play and, and how advanced they are at times. I think that, that leaves them susceptible to the counter-attack. And I think they, they showed today in the second half that perhaps they, they aren't good enough in transition to cope with that. Um, they, they don't really solidify the middle and the game becomes stretched whenever they're on the counter. Um, it kind of feels like they're, they're five yards behind the play trying to recover, which is, which is never a good place to be. Um, but yeah, Wilfred Zaha, Andros Townsend, two fantastic footballers in, in the Premier League. Zaha arguably should be playing for, for a side um, much better than Crystal Palace. Uh, and Andros Townsend, who has played for, for a better side in, than Crystal Palace in Spurs. So, but, but more than that, I think you've got a, a side with a strong midfield who are capable of creating lots of chances. And one thing, one thing is for sure, if they defend like they did probably the opening 20 minutes, uh, they were a bit better thereafter, as you alluded to earlier on. But... If they defend like that next week, then I think Zahara and Andros Townsend will be will be rubbing their hands together at the prospect of, of facing Norwich. Concur with that, Paddy? Yeah, I don't really want to get into thinking about Palace too much, to be honest. Cause, yeah, first. Yeah. <laughs> Just pretend it's not at Selhurst Park. Pretend it's at a nice stadium. What? To be fair, I mean, purely through media lenses, it was a pretty shocking place to go. But the last time we went there, they had had the Premier League... Um, Pizzazz, facelift, good word, Connor. Yeah, and it was marginally better, but it is still Sellers Park. But um, in terms of the more important matters on the pitch, yeah, I mean, that is the game probably next weekend. It's Norwich's full backs against their wide players. Um, they do have, a, for me, when I look at them, they do have a little bit of Burnley about them. They have some very experienced pros who know what the game's all about, and, and they can mix it physically as well as having a touch of uh, verve in wide areas. Um, so yeah, I think I'd agree with you, Dave. I'd take a point right now, um, and that would maintain points per game ratio. And were they to maintain that over the course of 38, I think they'd be safe. So, you know, looking at the bigger picture, yeah, I think um, come back from Sellers with a, with at least a point. Uh, that to me is another step in the right direction. Yeah. Well, you've just been saying that I've had horrible memories of what Christian Benteke did to Norwich in that League Cup quarter-final for Villa back in the day, and of course he's gone right off the boil. That would be very a long-come Norwich style for him to find some form on the on Saturday, wouldn't it? But I don't want to talk these things up. Tony, you're a well-travelled man within football. Having been at Swansea and West Ham, have you uh, experienced Selhurst Park before? Not to work. I went to that game when Norwich got promoted under Worthington, sort of when they sold out that whole stand as a fan okay. and they lost that yeah. like because that was meant to be a game where they might have got promoted or they were was close to promotion right that was 04 was it 03 yeah. 04 04 yeah um yeah and they lost <laughs> so yeah not not the best best trip there but i mean I, they was it who was their manager 5 6 7 years ago when their atmosphere was was really good and that was all always sort of brought up on Sky they had the flags and the banners and everyone went on about it that was kind of what Norwich's atmosphere was like on Saturday so whether it's the same now as it was back then then we'll find out I guess but is it too early to call it a six-pointer? I think Villa at home the following week from a Norwich point of view probably can just about be called a six-pointer but mm. I'm not sure about the Palace manager they've had yeah, quite a few haven't they but uh, I suppose it, Alan Pardew uh, did have a spell there didn't he yeah Antonio um, Lombardo <laughs> yeah he was Dougie Friedman could have been Pulis was there wasn't he Pulis yeah that's going back but yeah they have had a, a very decent atmosphere there I, I went to the game the 3-3 
um, at the end towards uh, two, yeah, 2004 5 the relegation season when uh, Johnson won a couple of pens didn't he he did he uh, you know vaulted face first onto the uh, onto the lines of the penalty area ended up with chalk on his face got a penalty and uh, he got loads of penalties that season didn't he uh, I think it was like 14 wasn't it yeah over the course of the season and um, yeah he ended up uh, 3-3 uh, draw and that was incredibly damaging to Norwich I think they were 3-1 up but they were. let's hope for none of, that, none of that sort of drama and I think uh, Selhurst Park will have improved quite a bit since I uh, last went because I don't think uh, I think I've been once since then uh, in my scunny days but um, we shall see anyway let's just round off the Burnley game and then we're going to have a bit of a chat about Stuart Webber because that was sort of uh, we're, <laughs> we're looking for a positive <laughs> and I think that can probably just about round things off on a, on some kind of a positive but let's have a, a little bit of a listen to what Mo Leitner had to say after the Burnley game and uh, basically saying that he, he hopes they can learn uh, plenty of lessons from it if we are honest um, they had only one plan to kick it long and be prepared for the fight and yeah they did it in the first 10-15 minutes really good they scored two times I think for us it was a little bit um, yeah to wake up in, in the first 10 minutes 10-15 minutes um, but after that we showed a great reaction even before before the first goal of Burnley we had a big big chance of Timo and yeah I was a little bit unlucky with my shot on the crossbar so we also had maybe with a little bit more luck we will be back in the game earlier but yeah we have to have to analyze the game and keep going keep fighting and yeah learn out of it from true crime to football brexit to folklore for more great podcasts from archant head to audioboom.com slash channel slash archant Yes, so Mr. Weber, new contract this week, three-year deal, or at least it extends his contract until the end of 2021-22, and we had the opportunity to go and chat with him uh, in the new academy building at Colney, or the Lotus Training Centre, as we should call it, on uh, on Friday, ahead of Daniel Fark's press comments. You guys were both in the room as well, although... Um, I led the questioning because there's no need for all three of us to, to question him at once is there uh, Chris Gorham was there for Radio Norfolk as well you guys sort of got to, to watch the interview uh, Connor what did you make of his uh, sort of revelation as it were that it's probably going to be I know we're talking on the back of a defeat so it probably feels less seismic but yeah. at the time it felt quite shocking to hear him say right 2022 that's probably my lot it did, and then I think you, you dig deeper into his character profile, and it doesn't seem too much of a shock in terms of how meticulous he is with his planning and preparation. Um, it, he, he'll have known probably when he came in where he'd have wanted Norwich to be at this point, and hopefully they're, they're probably somewhere close. So for him to outline his sort of aspirations for the, for the next three years and, and then say, right, that's, that's, that's your lot to, to a degree is, uh, is no secret. I think he's, he's always been perfectly honest with supporters about how much he wants to work abroad and um, would fancy a challenge in Germany in particular I think he's mentioned so um, not massively shocked I think when I sat down I, th- I think it's, it's the shocking nature of it is probably the fact he's just literally signed a new deal and, he's, and it's come of the interview where it's meant to be him sort of um, outlining his, his thoughts but if you, th- if you think about some people who have occupied the, uh, the corridors of powers in years gone by it's, it's probably quite well, it's, it's, it's quite refreshing to have someone who, who doesn't put a wall up and doesn't um, just just feed you rhetoric, I suppose, of, of 
um, football media in, in, in many regards and just give you politician answers you know honest pragmatic um, a very good communicator so yeah I, d I don't think it's too much of a shock but I, I think really it, it basically gives Norwich three years to make a succession plan I think he, he said before on record that he'd, he'd like to be involved in, in appointing his successor so um, for now Norwich can only look at the next three years and, and be excited by it and uh, the day we're, we're talking about a post-Webber era seems like quite far away at the moment but um, he's, he's got plenty to do in, in sort of the, the current time frame and at the top of the list will be keeping Norwich in the Premier League yeah three years is a long time or uh, you know, he's not even been here three years yet so <laughs> um, that sort of shows how long he uh, has still got to go I suppose you could you, you can look at it in two ways almost in that okay that's great that means he's intending to stay till 2022 and if he continues the good work then, then great but um how much of a shot did it come to you, Pad, given that he's, he has always been so good at communicating and he obviously he wanted to put this out there, didn't he? He basically said that in his quotes, that he wanted to get it out there, that this was his plan and he wanted to be totally honest with Norwich fans. Yeah, not, not really at all, to be honest, Dave, because that is the guy. He's, he's unvarnished. He, you, what you see and what you hear is what you get with that man. And I mean, he basically said that he needed that from Delia and Michael, that he needed a time frame he, I think he talked about so he knew how long he was going to be here so if that's how his conversations were framed with the owners then it's really just you know basically amplifying that in terms of through the media to, to the fan base that uh, you know isn't and as he's rightly stated he's not a Norwich fan he's not from Norfolk he doesn't have that deep lasting attachment to the club so you know it might, might be quite a brutal way to deliver the news but effectively he sees Norwich as uh, good for him and his career at this moment in time he's certainly been good for Norwich and Norwich fans wouldn't disagree but all good things come to an end and, and he's a very ambitious man he's still in his mid-30s he's got lots of goals to achieve I'm sure um, and alas as he has always said about top quality players at Norwich coming through mainly Madison there will come a point when these lads outgrow the club and you could apply the same to, to Stuart Webber and that's just unfortunately where Norwich sit in the football infirmament. They aren't ever going to be global or, or world-class club in terms of the biggest clubs in the land or the biggest clubs in Europe. Daniel Farker, was, when he was asked about this on Friday, said um, Stuart will manage, or sorry, Stuart will be in charge of a world-class club. So, you know that is the reality and I think most Norwich fans would accept that probably they haven't got the size of club that would satisfy where Stuart Webber thinks he can take his career and that's the reality so I'll just enjoy him as you can, while you can live in the moment um, because it won't be dull if we look at the last particularly the last 12 months or so under these two guys there will certainly not be a case of uh, treading water it's going to be one thing or the other just enjoy the ride for what it is and um, what I would say Again, it came cl clear, clearly through for me in this interview that he's got so much respect for Michael and Delia that he won't leave them in the lurch. You know, if if it goes to plan and he is here for the next three years of his contract, he won't just walk out the door and uh, and leave Norwich peering over the cliff edge. There will be there will be plans in place. So um, I wouldn't fear too much. But you know, ultimately, um, if he goes on to bigger and better, he's only doing that because he's had success at Norwich. So for me, that's a good sign. 
and uh, Stuart also said that he could see Daniel managing in the Champions League, didn't he? So ret- they returned the favour. <laughs> on the back of a 2-0 defeat at Burnley, <laughs> you could say they're very good at media. <laughs> but um, that's, uh, that's being slightly cruel um, because they, of course, have brought huge success to the club and at the time we were talking to him on the back of... Uh, a real landmark win over Manchester City so let's hope there's much more of that to come this season and we don't have to have too many of these slightly depressing uh, <laughs> inquests into a, an away defeat um, and I don't think there are too many games in the Premier League where you come up against a Burnley type are there so um, hopefully we won't be going over this ground too much but who knows it's uh, I still don't think you know we're six games into the season I still don't think we can uh, start to talk with any confidence about whether Norwich will be able to survive or not to be, to be perfectly frank so we shall see um, just a quick bit of housekeeping uh, before we before we wrap this week's pod um, this show is brought to you by Arch and Podcasts and if you are interested in sponsoring us or getting involved with the show then please do email matt.withers at archon.co.uk uh, this is your podcast as much as it is ours so if you ever want to get in t- contact with us the email address is thepinkin at archon.co.uk and I'm sure you know where to find us on social media. Tony, are you looking forward to the drive home? Um, no comment. <laughs> Pad? Not hugely, no. I've got to be honest. But uh, As long as, as, long as, as the other drivers use indicators, we'll be fine. Uh, shall we tell them what happened to Tony on the way back from the England under-21s the other night? Yeah. When me and you were, were on the gig. Pray tell. We missed this one. Um, you're probably best because you experienced it as a passenger. Yeah, and I'm still <laughs> raging about it. Basically, uh, the infernal road network we now have in this country, there was diversions. Everywhere. Tony thought he knew better than the diversion signs and decided to ignore <laughs> them, and we ended up 20 minutes later coming back round to the same roundabout in Lincoln about 2 in the morning, coming back from seeing the three boys playing for the Young Lions. So... Uh, if there's any diversion signs tonight, this could get messy. We've all been there. I once turned onto the north carriageway of the A1 on the way home from the game, didn't I? Was it? I can't remember where it was, Middlesbrough or something, but we were in a hurry to get home and I was like, oh no, it took about 10 minutes to turn around. So we've all been there when you're tired. Uh, and Connor, just finally, uh, what a baptism of fire it's been for yourself. You've seen literally both sides of the coin of Norwich City. Have you enjoyed it? It's been very predictable. I think if in, in terms of if you were going to ask me last Sunday perhaps what this game would have been like, I probably would have been able to map it out for you. Um, so Man City, not so much. Yeah, well, there's the mantra, same old Norwich, isn't there? Um, and it sort of falls under that category. But no, it's been good. Uh, like you say, the facilities were good. At least there was a nice view, I suppose. And we've got a positive to take in that regard. And the food. The, I just want to add that the Burnley press food was, was very good. Beef Madras. Excellent. Can't fault it. I enjoyed it. Can't, can't get wrong with curry. Right, we'll wrap it there. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, head over to pinkin.com for all the uh, reports and analysis of the Burnley game. And of course, we will begin the build up to Palace from Monday. <laughs>